Welcome back, everyone, to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris K. This is the podcast where we talk about all things hard rock and heavy metal. And this week, we're going head-to-head with Van Halen versus David Lee Roth, 5150 versus Edom and Smile. The albums from the former bandmates came out just mere four months apart. We're going to go over the songs from both records and determine which is the better album. And Kenneth has another shot of rusty metal for you, so stick around for that. But first, some legalese. If you enjoy the show and you want to hear some more, click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and get the show on your favorite device about every week or so. We also want to interact with you guys and read your opinions, so if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or DM us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're also now on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe and ring that YouTube bell to be alerted each week when we drop a new episode. So, Kenneth, what's your Rusty Metal pick? All right. This week, I've got something that a lot of people are going to say is not metal. A lot of people are going to say... What are you sold out? Something to that effect. They're just they're they're probably not gonna like it. But if they're like me or even a, a tad like you, they're going to be able to open up their ears and understand that what I'm about to tell them is pretty damn good. This week's rusty metal goes back to 1995, so that's the height of the grunge era. And it's the band Mad Season with their one and only album, Above. It was released on Columbia Records. It was produced by Mad Season and Brett Eliason. And it was recorded at Bad Animal Studios in Seattle, Washington. So Mad Season is a side project that was formed by Mike McCready, the guitarist for Pearl Jam, and Barrett Martin, the drummer for Screaming Trees. Mike McCready met bassist John Baker Saunders in rehab in in Minneapolis. Uh, so the, the the trio basically played together when they when they came back to Seattle. And McCready then brought in Alice in Chains singer Lane Staley to round out the lineup, hoping that Lane would get himself sober after working with sober musicians himself. Um it didn't quite exactly work out that way. But Regardless, um, the album for me is a very eclectic album with a variety of influences. There's blues, there's jazz, there's rock, and there's metal all over this album. Um, I mean, there's xylophones on the album. There's a saxophone on the album. So it's, it's a very diverse album. The album starts with a song called Wake Up, which has this real quiet, smooth bass intro that is as haunting as it is beautiful and i love that song it never it never really gets past uh god it's really slow but it's hard to say slow like as a ballad slow it's just it's just like kind of like this meditating type of song i love that song whenever i'm in the mood for quiet and I just want to listen to music that's quiet, I throw that song on. And it's amazing to me. I love that song. The album also contains the single River of Deceit and standout tracks I Don't Know Anything, Lifeless Dead, and Long Gone Day. Most of the songs are not fast. They're not, but they're, well, they're not fast. They're not heavy. But for me, that's really what I love about this album. There's this, there's this, 
prevailing theme throughout the album because of Lane Staley's lyrics. And, and that's the, that's the big standout thing. That's where Lane shines on this album because of his deeply introspective lyrics. But the music is, is quiet and it's haunting and it gets loud and it gets obnoxious and then it gets quiet and it gets meditative. And it's just such a cool, to me, that's just, just what makes this album so cool. Um, and so, you know, anyone listening out there is going to sit there and say, that's not a metal album. No, it's not a metal album. It's not even grunge, even though it's considered like one of the top grunge albums of all time. I wouldn't even consider it grunge. But because it's Seattle and it came out in 95, people consider it grunge. I just consider it a really good rock album. And and I think if, if, if you guys out there give it a chance, you'll understand what I mean when I say this is a really good album. It's still available on there. Out, oh, excuse me. It's still available out there uh, on all the streaming platforms. You can buy it physically with CD um, or cassette. I think is still available. <laughs> if not, <it's, laughs> okay. If not, it's been re it's been reissued that way. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of joking about that one. Um, but there is a deluxe version that was released in 2013, uh, which is expanded. Uh, so it's got more bonus tracks on the from the main album, but it also has a CD and a DVD of this really raucous performance that they had at the at the at the Moor in Seattle. So it's really cool. I I have the VHS. <laughs> so that tells you how long I've had that. Um, and it's a really cool performance. Um, so if you like that, you'll, you'll like watching that. Um, this is very different, but I think it's very good and I think you'll enjoy it. Let's check it out. All right. I mean, it, it's, I would not say it's a metal album, but it's definitely a rock album. And you know, the, the band members being tied into rock and metal, I think is fair enough. So if you enjoyed, you know, some of those other projects like uh, Pearl Jam or Alice in Chains, then you'll probably enjoy it. I've heard it myself. Absolutely. Um, so that brings us to our main topic of the evening, and that is Van Halen versus Dave Lee Roth. I think we've done Sammy versus Dave in the past, but this one is head-to-head album-wise. This is Van Halen's 5150, Sammy Hagar's first album with the band versus David Lee Roth's Eat Him and Smile, his debut solo album uh, that came out just a mere four months later, like you said earlier, um, in 1986. <clears throat> so we're going to go over Van Halen's first because it came out first, and then we're going to do David's album. Um, Van Halen's 5150 was released in March of 1996, and it was released on Warner Brother Records. It was recorded at 5150 Studios in Studio City, California, and it was produced by Mick Jones of Foreigner fame, Don Landy, and Van Halen. Don Landy has been was the longtime engineer for Van Halen throughout this time. So, Chris, let's go over these songs. You start it up and tell me what you think, and then uh, I'll throw my opinion in there. All right, so the album starts off with Good Enough. You can already hear the production no longer sounds live. Instead, the band is you know producing themselves with a much slicker sound. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's definitely a change in the eras. So you can you can hear there's there's a distinct difference between what they were doing with David Lee Roth and now what they're going to be doing with with Sammy Hagar. Um, Alex is playing electric drums, um, and there's some keyboard synths. Not necessarily as much in this song, but in the upcoming tracks, 
And, you know, some of that's continued over from 1984, where that was kind of introduced. But this is a a different sound for Van Halen. Um, Good Enough is a really fun rocker uh, with some great guitar work. Um, Sammy has some some fun with the fictional waitress. You know, <laughs> he says, "Look here, ma'am," and and when I heard that for years, I could not understand it. And the best I could understand was "Banana Man," and so, <laughs> <laughs> so there are some similarities. You know, like when David Lee Roth, it would do that kind of thing where he would interact with with you know people you know fictional people or or you know the producer or something like that in some of the songs like um which which track was that that um mean street is like that mean street does it but there's another one off of um it's off of fair warning unchained yeah he does it in unchained so both songs are go ahead i'm sorry no both songs are on fair warning yeah, so there's like some similarity to the that kind of you know just having fun vibe, um, but yeah, I mean it's a it's a cool song and it's a good start to the album. I like good enough. I, I really you know if you take good enough and you separate it from the rest of the album and you put in a, a whole album's worth of goodness, you would almost think that it was an extension of the old Van Halen. There, there's a lot. Like you said, there's a lot of things going on as soon as you put the album on and this, it starts to play. Definitely different production. And and one thing I was thinking to myself today as I was listening to this album is that the two eras of Van Halen are so distinctly different sounding. And not about Alex's drums because Alex went back to and played normal drums later on. Mm-hmm. But Eddie's guitar... And I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's the 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 fifty one fifty amp or the fifty fifty the fifty one fifty studios, but Eddie's sound, even though it sounds, it's it's really weird to say this. It sounds the same, but yet completely different. You know, you can tell it's the guitar not as player, warm. It's not, it's a little more sterile. I would it, say the the word that I came up with when I was thinking about it is very mechanical sounding. Mm-hmm. In my eyes, but you can tell that it's Eddie, obviously, and yeah. you can tell that it's Van Halen, obviously. But at the same time, it's all it's it sounds like a new band, and that obviously is the, the Sammy Hagar effect. Um, I like the song good enough. I think that's a really good song. And yes, I, I as soon as I heard the breakdown and he starts talking to you know, the imaginary people or the producers or whoever's in the studio at that time, I'm like, this is exactly the same type of stuff that David Lee Roth did. And it's kind of weird that they actually did that because you you would have thought that they wouldn't wanted to get away from the David Lee Roth antics. But maybe it was the band themselves that were causing the antics that David Lee Roth was just partaking in. So that, that kind of tells you something a little bit there. Well, I, you know, there's, there's a little more of that later on. And I think there, there are things that definitely tie this album to the previous area uh, area to, to the previous era. And there's songs that will show that as it goes on, but there's also some evolution from what they were doing with, you know, the keyboards in, 1984 etc so you know to me it sounds like a fairly logical step the only difference is they had to step forward with a different singer rather than continuing with dave so you know it 
I think looking back now in hindsight, you can see it more than you probably could at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, at the time it was just the whole fascination, you know? Yeah. It's, <gasps> I mean, David Lee Roth is gone. What's it going to sound like? <gasps> There's Sammy Hagar. Oh my God. What is this? You know, yeah. there's a giggle stick. There's a giggle <laughs> stick. What is that? <laughs> you know? It's For like, sure. What? <laughs> so. All right. That leads us into track two. Uh, which is the first single. And interestingly enough, the, uh, pretty much most of the songs on this album were released on a single, whether they were the, the main single or the B-side. So this this is track two, Why Can't This Be Love? Uh, it, you know, it's funny to think that one of Van Halen's biggest singles had Sammy Hagar on guitar and Eddie on keyboards in all the live performances for basically the first couple of years that they were playing uh, for both 5150 and OU812 tours. Of course, Eddie recorded the guitars for the album, but, you know, it's interesting, like, when you would see them live, that Eddie wasn't even on guitar for one of their biggest singles. Um, you know, it's a really great song. Um, though I tend to, I kind of tend to like the live versions better than, you know, what the the, the version that's on 5150 you know, it's, it sounds a little more restrained, um, you know, and it's it's got that interesting sc- scatting from Sammy. I I always thought was cool. Um, you know, it's it's a mostly keyboard played song, and it's something really different for Van Halen. So I understand, like you know, it was probably kind of scary to a lot of you know diehard fans going into it, but it also really bred them a lot of new fans. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about if if that kind of changeover, if that if the bands existed or the artists existed at this time, and they kind of had that changeover today, what would have happened? You know, like like everybody said the same exact words back then as they would say now, but now it's initials, now it's letters, and everyone knows what they mean, and everyone sees it on TV. Back then, when this song hit the first time and it premiered, there was a big, giant collective, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? There was that. I mean, I experienced it. I was there. I was 17. Well, yeah, I was 17 years old when this album came out. And it was like, what? And then, you know, it was kind of like, oh, of course, this is the reason why Dave left and this is the reason why Eddie was happy for David to be gone. He gets to play the keyboards. You know, that was the attitude back then. And it was funny because, you know, I heard it once and it never left my mind. And I said it earlier. This is the Giggle Stick song because of the way the, the keyboards introduced uh, are introduced at the beginning of the song. It sounds like a Giggle Stick. And you reference the fact that Eddie plays the, the keyboards live on this song in, in, uh, in concert. Well, someone had to. And, and Eddie's never been one to give someone else the job to play the secondary instruments. Um, and I think maybe they did it a little bit later on. I don't know. After OU812, they started having a guy play the keyboards backstage. So you right. ne- you didn't see it, but um, it became, you know, he handed that off and he took the, the guitar back. So Sammy was just singing at that point. Right. So, you know, that was the thing too when when the band first got together you know, Eddie was so excited to have a second guitar player because then that allowed him to do more stuff with the keyboards. 
This song is really cool. I like this song. I, I actually did not like it when it first came out, although it's catchy as hell. Uh, I mean, it is absolutely, you know, just one of those, you know, uh, those uh, worm music that gets in your ear and it just stays with you forever. Um, but I couldn't stand the song when, I first, when it first came out. But of course, that was 1987. That's, you know, 30, 30, what, 33 years ago already. So it, it's a long time ago. <laughs> so it, it is, it, as time grew older, or excuse me, as time went on and I grew older, um, I began to understand and, and appreciate the song for what it is. It's a really good song. Um, <clears throat> Sammy's singing on it is superb. The background vocals is superb throughout the entire album. Um, listening to it today, again, for the first time really in a long time, uh, it is it is absolutely a stunningly good album, but it's like it's some in, in other parts of the album it's, it gets a little mechanical for me. But this song is hands down is is, is was the right call to make as the first single. I I always find it funny how you know people that listen to Van Halen from the very beginning. Um, are so drastically different in opinion from people that came in later. You know, like for me, when I listen to Van Halen, it really doesn't matter which era, you know, between the two, you know, uh, discounting Gary Sharon's album, you know, but between the two, like, it doesn't matter. I, I just enjoy all of it. But when I it, when I read reviews or if I listen to people talk about Van Halen that were around from the beginning, it's like, it's there's such a, a not a disdain i mean some people yeah definitely there's a disdain for the the sammy hagar alp, uh, era of the band but there's this like well it's different than dave you know, <laughs> you know? Oh, so, yeah. and, I mean, and 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 it's bound to happen it's understandable I, I was part of it you yeah. know um but at the same time i appreciated both sides yeah you know, I wasn't one of these people who was like, you know, who chose sides and I said, I'm never going to listen to Van Halen. Yeah. You know, um, I I listened to Van Halen and I hated the fact that they call, you know, that people called it Van Hagar. And I don't know what is the deal, but lately, even Van, even Sammy is calling it Van Hagar now. I don't know what the deal is, that why this is now all of a sudden become a thing to call this Van Hagar. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it has to do with the fact that David Lee Roth was back in the band now. Uh, I have no idea. But, um, you know, Sammy's been doing this whole uh, putting some songs out or some clips out on Instagram uh, with older stuff. We're doing things from that Van Hagar era. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird that he even calls it that now. It's just, it's just strange. But, yeah, there was a dividing line back in the day. And I can understand your appreciation for it because you, you grew up and both singers already had, had existed, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with, with Sammy Hagar on, on vocals for Van Halen when I was a kid. By, by 1986, you know, he was in the band. But, you know, he, when he, by the time he left, I was about 10 years old. So I was listening to that, like that, in my perception, he was the lead singer. And then obviously, like, yeah, you on the radio you'd hear the David Lee Roth stuff. So, you know, it, there was both existed, you know, to me at that time. Yep. All right. So, 
Well, that leads us into track three, which is Get Up. Um, this is the B-side off of Why Can't This Be Love. So it, it's interesting to me that so many of these were released on singles before the album even came out. Um, the track is really fun, and it kind of harkens back to some of their early work, you know, sounding like the band is, you know, barely kind of keeping up pace. Uh, but I, I mean that in a good way. Like, there's this, this kind of... Um, you know, like, like a lot of the stuff that came out on, uh, um, what's the name of the album? Women and Children First. You know, there's this kind of like breakneck hecticness at times and stuff like that. And that's that's kind of what you get here, you know, where it, it sounds like if they went any faster, the band would just fall apart, which is <laughs> just, it's fun. Um, you know, there was always this, this kind of like borderline of sounding like jammy and sounding really precise and that i think that's one thing that's really unique about van halen's sound um in many ways like with the with the background vocals and the overall sound i would say this is one of the tracks that would appeal more to the david lee roth era fans you know people that are bridging over between the two um i think it's a cool track you know you know what's funny about that the the whole hecticness about the song Mm-hmm. And you think about the the breakneck speed that they're doing it at. Van Halen really didn't do that very much. No, but, but the there were perceptions. Yeah. There were times that there was a perception that they did a lot of that. And it's funny because they did they did it on this song. And David, and we're going to talk about it on on his album. He did it on that album, on Eat Him and Smile. Mm-hmm. But in reality. Um, they had you know the little drum solo at the end at the beginning of Hot for Teacher, and there's some stuff that's on on Women and Children First, but other than that, there really isn't any songs that are kind of crazy and hectic like these songs are, and it's funny because it almost is synonymous with Van Halen the hectic crazy drumming and 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 almost seems like the, the band's going to the, the the rubber band is going to break and everybody's going to snap and it's just a, a strange thing that has become associated with the Van Halen sound so but i like the song get up is a cool song um i like the fact that it's frenetic i like the fact that it's it's a hectic pace uh i think it's pretty cool and they do sound really good on it so it it's a uh, it's one of those songs that uh, see, it redefined Van Halen for being the sound that they are now at this point. Um, but it also showed that Van Halen wasn't just, you know, why can't this be love song? Because they've now done two more upbeat type of songs. And they now you're getting into the fat part of the album. You know, I think part of that, that perception of that, that, you know, that pace, that, that like breakneck, trying to like barely hold on to the pace kind of thing also kind of comes from some of the solos that they did because you know the band all had their own solos mm-hmm, during yeah. the concerts right. and alex van halen you know he he did the thing where he like he's drumming as fast as humanly possible um if you ever listen to michael anthony's bass solos he he would go from you know that that really kind of like slow pace to playing really fast and then eddie's obviously was kind of the same thing and he'd stick his you know cigarette in the the, you know the 
the um the bridge of the guitar and all that stuff so like i think part of that perception is from some of the stuff that's not even on the albums Mm -hmm. you know yeah i can see that yeah all right so that leads us into track four which is dreams it's the second single uh which had inside the the final track as the b-side um one thing that dreams does so well is showcase Sammy's vocal range. Uh, and I think that's that's like the biggest thing that I think you can take away from this track is it shows some really incredible ability as from him as a singer. Um, it tends to, to, to me at least, it sounds more like a, a Sammy Hagar solo track than Van Halen because it's very different than a lot of the stuff that they did. Um, you know, but I, I really love the track. I think it's really good. Um, the main solo, interestingly enough, it, it starts off for the first half of it with two notes that just go back and forth and that's it. Two notes. And then it goes off into something that's got, you know, a little bit more dynamic range and, and emotion to it. And it's so interesting to me that somebody like there's not many guitarists out there that could just take two notes and give that much emotion to it. And that's that's strange because Van Eddie Eddie has never been one of those guys that have been known to emote a lot when it comes to his guitar playing because he was so natural at it, but at the same time he was so precise. Um, and not just that, there was always like a level of just having fun. You know, it was it wasn't trying right. to place emotion in songs. You know, but it was just like having a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in a song like Dreams, it, it works because it is about emotion, and that and I and 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 so it was very apropos to, to put that solo in there like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he he brought some more emotion into the stuff that they did almost a decade later with balance. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a very different album than, than what you're listening to here, to be honest. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, But, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So, so dreams is a cool song. Um, It's very, um, the keyboards sound like they're being hit. The, the, the notes that it's, it's not a very soft kind of keyboard, but at the same at the same time, the song is soft itself. It's it's a very uh, contrasting kind of playing that he's doing because uh, you can he, you can almost hear him hitting the keys. Um, and it's but at the same time, the song is absolutely awesome. I agree with you. This is a showcase for Sammy's vocals. Um, I love what he does on the song. Um, just the, the whole vocal package that's on this album is amazing. Um, just between him and, and, and Michael and Nick can sit, you can sit there and say all you want, or people can argue all you want about the fact that it was banned, the whole band doing background vocals. But after, after watching a video that came out, uh, this past year with Sammy and, 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 and Michael doing background vocals on one of the Van Halen songs, I don't, I can't remember which song it was. I think it was on, um, best of both worlds and it was being done they were rehearsing it with uh, with the with the rest of the circle and you heard exactly what you hear in, in a song like dreams you heard sammy's high pitch but you heard michael's higher pitch 
and how how they harmonize so well together. So you you hear it on on dreams, and it's like, yeah, you know who that is. And those they're, they're, the vo- the vocals on this from both of them are just outstanding on this album. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michael Anthony's sound is invaluable to that band, and I think we you know saw that more as time went on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that <clears throat> excuse me. So that leads us into track. Uh, five, which is Summer Nights. Uh, this was the B-side off of uh, Love Walks In, which will be coming up soon. Uh, this is a really great party rock track. Again, probably suiting the old Van Halen fans as well as the new. Um, this The riff here is just as irresistible as the chorus. I mean, it's, it's a song you can easily sing along to. Um, Eddie just walks up and down the guitar the whole song, and it's really fun to listen to. This is this is like so relaxed yet so in depth at the same time. It's a really good track. I like this. This was one of the first songs that I really got into on this album. Um, I I didn't get this album right away. Um, this is this is at the time when CDs were were starting to come out in the middle, you know, middle to late eighties, they were starting to make their presence known. Um, but, but basically records and and cassettes were the, were the thing. I never went out and bought the record. So it was a CD that I got much later. So that was one thing I was just listening to these songs on the radio. So I didn't hear all of them. Uh, I think a friend of mine may have given me a copy of the cassette. I don't remember exactly how it went down that I was able to listen to a lot of these songs besides the fact that they were on the radio a lot. Um, were you listening to it on summer nights on your radio? <laughs> yes, uh, probably. <laughs> um, it's a cool song. I mean, it's this one of those songs that when I'm out and about on a summer night, it's it just comes into my mind and I start singing it because it's it's just it's so appropriate, you know. So I, I like the song a lot. I mean, it, it's it, this is a really bunch of good songs, and this one's one of them too. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is a Van Halen song to me. Like when I when I think of Van Halen, this one's one that comes to mind. And again, the background vocals are outstanding on this. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, uh, that leads us to track six, "Best of Both Worlds." Um, you know, to me, it's it's not a bad rocker. It's a very singable song. Um, it's pretty basic and uncomplicated. You know, this even the solos a bit understated. I don't really understand why this became one of their biggest staples. Um, to be honest, I think it's one of the simpler songs in the Van Halen catalog. Um, I mean, I get I get the the chorus is very recognizable it's catchy but to me it's it's just kind of like it's it's not, i wouldn't even necessarily say mediocre it's just really simple and maybe that's the popularity i guess I, I think that might have a lot to do with the popularity of it i mean people can get into it just because it's a simple song mm-hmm. you know elvis presley uh played very simple songs so that tells you everything you need to know <laughs> so yeah but i mean in the grand scheme of like comparing it to a lot of other stuff from van halen this is a lot simpler 
it's it's catchy. Everything that yeah. they've done on this album so far is really catchy, and that's an, it's a tribute to the continued songwriting of Eddie in terms of the song structure. Mm-hmm. But it also is a it's a an absolute testament to the ability of Sammy Hagar to write a song. And this is what I was thinking about earlier. If you think about the David Lee Roth songs from the Van Halen era, they're they're not complicated songs in terms of lyrics. They're not really deep songs in terms of lyrics. And they have a lot of songs that are just literally like one or two syllable choruses. You know, maybe one, two, three, like, like Unchained. Unchained, you know, Jump. <laughs> I mean, you got, you got Jump, you got Unchained, Panama. You know, it, it, there's not a lot in terms of complicated choruses. But you got Sammy comes in, Why Can't This Be Love? You've got the best of both worlds. Hot summer nights. I mean, that's three syllables for the most part, <laughs> but he's able to he's able to make it sound different. Yeah, but there's like a little bit of a story to some of the songs, and, and well, they, I'm not it, saying that's not the case on the David Lee Roth. Stuff. No, the David, David Lee Roth has interesting stories yeah. on there, but Dave's stories are, are relatively simple overall. You know, there's. I don't know. It just I think there's there's so much much more maturity in terms of songwriting from Sammy Hagar compared to David Lee Roth that you know it it shows. And so you got something like the best of both worlds where there's this you know this slow verses and he's just kind of talking to you almost. And then you know they build it up to get to the to the chorus that really just kind of hits everybody. I think that's cool. You know, so yeah, I, I can see that. Um, you know, like some of the songs, though, like I don't, if I remember correctly, like going over the the lyrics for "Best of Both World," they're they're like they're not that great. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say more so on some of the later stuff. You know, there, it's I remember this particular song being kind of like nonsense but but i understand exactly what you mean i mean even like the next song that's coming up uh love love walks in has some really interesting lyrics that i think take a little bit of thinking about to really grasp um you know some of the other like 5150 has some some you know pretty good lyrics as a whole um but especially as time went on with the band the lyrics became more and more prominently featured you know in some of the songs so i i i completely get what you're saying there is a level of maturity that sammy brought in so absolutely all right that brings us to track seven which is love walks in it's the third single with uh summer nights as the b-side um what a weird song (laughs) (laughs) uh i could never tell like when i was listening to this when i was younger um, what exactly Sammy was singing about. Obviously, he was talking about love. He was talking about aliens. He was maybe talking about love with aliens. I don't know. Um, you know, it was it was never one of my favorites. It was, it was a popular ballad. Um, I'm not sure that it ever kind of hit the heights that they were expecting, maybe. 
you know, the bringing in a ballad. Um, this was one of the things that um, Eddie felt that they could not do with David on vocals. And, you know, that's true. He didn't really, he wasn't really suited for doing uh, ballads. Um, no, he wasn't at all. <laughs> at all. Um, you know, the guitar works pretty nice. Uh, it's it's a decent song, but it just it never appealed to me per se. It hit number twenty two on the 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 charts, so I don't know. What do you think about this track? For for what it's worth, the track itself is a good track. Uh, it's a ballad. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's that it's a song that's definitely going to cross over. It became you know, a song that people would play at weddings. Uh, it became a song that people would play when you wanted to slow down the party and everyone wanted to hold each other. You know, that was the first one of the Van Halen songs that you could really do that to. Uh, there would be some more that would come later. Um, but, um, you know, while you were talking here, I'm reviewing some of the lyrics and, and then it hit me what not just this song but the best of both worlds and 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 some of the other songs that that came later in in their catalog the one thing about sammy that is really cool and you you he he walks a very fine line is he, a lot of his songs are very very spiritual they're not religious so you can't take it that way but spiritual about the inner being, about the universe, about heaven and earth, even though, I mean, heaven, you know, the connotation is is religious. But for some people, they may still believe in heaven. They just not may, they may not have the same beliefs that other people have and or heaven and hell in general, good and bad. So for me, Sammy was was a very is his lyrics are very spiritual. And in this particular case with Love Walks In, it's it's more about you know the the sense of of being i guess you could say the sense of something else out there the sense of you know still being together it, it's it's a very strange song in that regards lyrically but there's there's this sense of you know love <laughs> it's just hard to say <laughs> really you know it's it, just it's, funny way to put it yeah exactly you know so the the song is is almost like you know when when someone walks in and it's just there's that like that burst of of excitement when you see someone for the first time that you haven't seen in a while or the first time you see your wife in the day or after a long day of work, you know, you're excited to see that person. There's that little burst of energy that pops up into your heart. And I think that's really what the song is about in a nutshell. And it, and it, to me, it works. Um, they're, they've done better ballads. Um, but this was their, this was their first attempt at it. And it, and it, it crossed over and they got pretty far. I mean, it's a better attempt than say some of the stuff that, you know, Rainbow and Richie Blackmore did, and other bands that have attempted to try and cross over. Yeah. Know. So this was this was it right there. I mean, I think for a long time, you know, just based on things that have been said, uh, Eddie wanted to do this kind of thing, and it just it just wasn't really possible. So this was his his, you know, 
ability to explore and try something different so i can't take anything away from it and i'm not even i'm not even saying it's a bad song or anything like that you know personally it just never clicked with me so you know and there is one other interesting thing about it is that sammy has said that he believes in aliens so i don't know he's he's a he's a strange cat he's an interesting cat yeah he is um, okay, so that leads us into track eight fifty one fifty, the title track. Um, I have to say, this is one of my favorite riffs that Van Halen ever produced. Um, something about it just resonated with me. Um, you know, it's a pretty straightforward rocker. Uh, there's a lot more energy and soul than some of the tracks like Best of Both Worlds. Uh, you can you can hear there's just a, a level of kind of excitement to it. Um, the chorus is also pretty meaningful with the, with the lyrics talking about, you know, never being satisfied with what you have. Um, you know, the solo has a really cool build to it that kind of takes you back into the track. So it's really well-constructed track as a whole. Um, and Sammy really shows some power with his vocals that's kind of missing on some of the tracks. Now, I wouldn't say all. I mean, obviously, Dreams has some really great vocals. Um, but there's some that are a little bit more subdued, whereas here he's kind of pushing it a little further. I think it's one of the overlooked gems on the on the album. It, it definitely is one of the overlooked gems on the album. It's hard to sit there and, and, and conceptualize the fact that 5150 basically means... Uh, in, in police terms for the Los Angeles Police Department, someone who needs uh, mental assistance. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's about a person who is not mentally stable. And so you have this issue like that, and then this song comes out, and it, it, the, just the, the, the beautiful way that Sammy sings the chorus. Um, the harmonies, the melody of the whole thing, it, 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 it's very contrasting to what 5150 really means. But at the same time, Eddie took the meaning of 5150 pretty much away from that and he turned it into his own because everything became 5150. That For him, that was, you know, 5150 was, was his number, his thing. You know, the amps, the, the, the album, the studio, everything. Yeah. And so... You know, the, the, I love the chorus on this song. You know, just the, the, they're singing that higher register. Uh, and, of course, you know, David could never get that high. He could sing high notes, but he couldn't sing that high. You know what I'm saying? Like on a No, I mean, he, he has a very different voice. I mean, he has his own abilities. and Well, he's a he crooner. Has, yeah, yeah, he has his own style that fits with what he does. And Sammy could do... You know, he could take the songs that David Lee Roth did and make them his own. He w- couldn't do exactly what David did, but he could He could at least perform the songs from before. Um, there's something that Sammy brings to what Van Halen does that David Lee Roth can't do. He, he just he's, It's just not his style. And that's no criticism of him. It's just things are how they are. You know, and he just doesn't. He's not much of a singer. He's like you said, he's a crooner. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, that leads us to the final track of the album, which is "Inside." Like I said earlier, it was the B side off of "Dreams." Um, this is interesting. It's barely a song, um, but it's also so distinctly Van Halen. 
Um, there's just a lot of sound going on. The band is clearly having fun. There is obviously a main tune that's going on, but there's still a lot of background noise, talking, you know, just sounds of the, you know, ambience going on. Um, it's kind of hard to explain without hearing it because it's not just like noise, but, you know, it's it's thought out the way it's constructed, but it's still, there's a lot of sound going on. Um it's fun, you know, and it's and it sh- like I said, it clearly shows that the band's having fun, but it's hard to call this a, tr- a song. So like in the beginning of Good Enough or not the beginning of Good Enough, but in the middle of, the, of Good Enough where they have that breakdown part where they're where they're talking to someone in the studio. This song starts out as the whole first minute, minute and a half, maybe two minutes of that going on with a a song playing at the same time Mm -hmm. and then you know then the the band has this kind of low tone chorus but then it kind of actually turns into a song in the middle and then it it, then it blends everything together it's it's a really weird song it is it's it's strange it's cool it's odd it's weird it's very van halen but at the same time it's just so weird yeah i mean it's hard to define it as just strictly a song you know, it's not like you can just sing along. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, you can. You can to the main chorus, but, you know, it's it's a little harder to define than the typical Van Halen track. It's just, exactly. it's just them having fun. So. It's just three minutes of we need to fill the album with something. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. All right. Well, I, you know, listening to this album for the first time in a long time, I, this is a very good album. I mean, it, it it didn't sell five million copies for no reason, you know. It's a good album. Um, so there's there's you know we've all heard it, however many times you know over the years. I mean, it's it's that it's you know it's a thirty five year old album. So we've heard it a million times. We've heard David Lee Roth's albums. This is a good album. There's nothing else to really say about it. I like it. I think you like it. I know. Uh, so, you know, we, we're going to see how it compares to Dave now as we we, we get there. So, I, I mean, as a whole, I would say this was this was kind of an experiment because you're taking a band that's been established and has put out many albums and has been fairly successful. Um, obviously, they they this was their first number one, so they had, they were reaching that point by the time they got to this album. I think whether David had stayed with the band or not, they probably would have released something that was great. Obviously, I don't know if that would have been possible for David to stay with the band because obviously, you know, things were boiling over. There were some issues. Um, but they were reaching that kind of like that pinnacle of their career in a way. And um, this was a chance for Eddie to do something new with you know things that he never felt that they could do with the the band before they brought in a new dimension with a second guitar player uh, a singer versus a crooner um so there's a lot going on and i think while this wasn't critically well received out first obviously the fans saw it very differently the album became number one despite some really you know poor um reviews of it so it showed that 
sometimes reviewers don't know what they're talking about. And in, hi- in hindsight, you know, I think it, it is the logical next step of the band. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack with, you know, what they did with this album and obviously how it compares to David Lee Roth. You know, I when I was working at the record store, I, I had some friends of mine who were they were close with each other because they were they were friends from working at a different record store to and they ended up going to my store. And we started putting out a newsletter and we were starting do, doing album reviews. And the first album I had to review was Octung Baby from U2. And the second album I had to review was Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic. As someone who has reviewed albums, and we do this now, but we we also doing it in a in, in in a hindsight kind of way now. Back then, I wasn't doing it in a hindsight kind of way, and I ripped uh, Octung Baby, a new one. I thought it was horrible because I was coming off of a previous U two album that was completely different. And then Octung Baby comes out, and it's just this completely contrasting style to what they did before. And I was like, "This, this, this song's horrible." I mean, I, I gave, I gave all the songs really bad reviews, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> as someone who knows about that, um, the people who give these reviews nowadays that are quote unquote professionals—not nowadays, but back through time critics through time the ones who give these these albums bad reviews i find it funny when fans like it and then you have the flip side they give certain albums these you know these critical reviews to get these great reviews and the album sucks ass Mm -hmm. okay why i don't understand what it is that that critics see in bad albums that they go oh this is a this is a great album you know it's critically reviewed and then you know once i hear critically reviewed you might as well trash it because it sucks you know it's very seldom are you going to get an album that is critically reviewed and as a as a good album and also be viewed as a good album by the fans it's it's I don't want to say it's rare, but it's it's so unusual for it to line up like that. And there are albums that do that, you know. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's like when it comes to rock and metal albums, there's, there's just such a like contrast. I mean, shit, Metallica's Black album got panned left and right when it came out. Okay, but fans ate it up, and then you know certain certain magazines began to realize, oh, this is actually a pretty good album. You know, this is not that bad because they began to realize that it was as much as it was the same band, it was a different attitude or a different concept. So I I feel for these reviewers who gave this a bad out a, a bad review. But a lot of them were taken aback. They this is wasn't your grandma's Van Halen anymore. You know? It was something else that ended up being better. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's obviously subjective, but like, for instance, um, Robert Criscow, uh, rated the album a C plus, which he basically said that it was a failed experiment. You know, he wondered how, um, you know, how 
people would would enjoy this. And he called Sammy Hagar. I think he called him a schmuck or something like that. Like like <laughs> he's he said that like nobody could stand him, and you know he he was he was a a foolish guy in the industry. Like I mean, it's it's crazy to think that. And then the album does extremely well. You know, everybody kind of panned it. And I understand, like, you're coming from, like you said, you're coming from the idea that this is not the same band that you listened to before. And that's the truth. But, like, I think people need to open up their ears and give things a chance. I mean, I see that with, you know, now um, KK's Priest is coming out. You know, we can we can talk about that next week when we do this, because the album will be out at that time. Um there's a lot of people that aren't even going to give it a chance because it's not Judas Priest. That's a problem to me. Like, at least give things a chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I give it a chance. Well, the funny thing was, I told you, one time a song popped up, one of the two songs popped up, and I'm like, is this off a of painkiller? Oh, <laughs> shit, this is KK's Priest. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes sense because the person who wrote a lot of the music is writing this music, KK yeah. Downing, you know? So it makes sense. Um, but in this particular case with Van Halen, although Eddie, uh, it, I don't want to say he changed his style. He expanded his style and was able to bring more to the, the, the drawing board than he was able to do before. Mm-hmm. And that included slower songs. That inclu- included songs with keyboards in it. So it, it basically gave him you know he went from playing in the in the 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 crayon box with 16 colors and now he's got the 64 color box and it's like holy shit i could do so much with this you know yeah and that's that's basically what happened and people it took people by surprise and for sure they were in shock with the giggle stick song you know and then when they realized that there's more to it than that then they realize this is pretty good. All right. Well, that brings us now to David Lee Roth. And David Lee Roth released Eat Him and Smile in July of 1986, four months after the release of 5150 from Van Halen. It was also released on Warner Brother Records. It was recorded at the Power Station in New York City, New York, Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California, and Can-Am Recorders in Tarzana, California. And it was produced by Ted Templeman. So the family of people that are associated with these two bands pretty much stayed the same. Don Landy was the engineer for Ted Templeman for all of Van Halen's first six albums. Now he produced the seventh, uh, or was one of the producers. <clears throat> Ted Templeman basically chose sides and ended up with David Lee Roth. He basically said, well, you know, I'm going to go with the guy I think is going to give me the best chance of having a good album. Essentially, that's what it was. And I think he picked the wrong album, but that's just, <laughs> that's just me. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad album, but when you compare it to in terms of sales, which is what Ted Templeman is trying to achieve, he, he, he failed. Um, David Lee Roth's Eat Him and Smile. What you got for me, Chris? All right. So the first track is Yankee Rose. Uh, This is a great start and really shows that Dave wanted to continue, you know, kind of what they were doing before with Van Halen Um, and does it well. I mean, this is an awesome track. Um, 
you know, it's it's a lot different than what Van Halen's doing with their new kind of synth pop approach. Um, and for a lot of fans, I'm sure that was a, a welcome thing. Um, I love the intro where Dave kind of talks to the to Steve Vai's guitar and it talks back to him. It's a really good riff. It's a really good chorus. You know, it's a recognizable song. It's a great start. This this song is absolutely great. And just the whole intro, like you said, with Steve and Steve talking with his guitar to Van to Van, to David Lee Roth's vocals. Yes, that's really, really cool. Um what's amazing to me is that David Lee Roth uh has been able to surround himself throughout his career with some really amazing guitar players. He's 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 like another Ozzy. Um he found, for the most part, Steve Vai. Steve Vai was un, relatively unknown at this time. Uh, he, you know, I, I believe the, um, I forgot what the name of that, the album he has with the melted guitar on the front, which was his first solo album. That hadn't come out yet. Um, so I think it's flexible, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong. But I, I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he, Steve Vai wasn't a, a household name yet. Um, so you get this guy, he's playing this guitar and he, it's, he's making, you know, uh, sounds and he's making it laugh and wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, it was, it was flexible was okay. the first one. So, yeah. so, you know, he, he, to, to get a guy who is basically on par with Eddie Van Halen in terms of talent is amazing. So. Yankee Rose comes out and it's basically more of a Van Halen song than Van Halen put out four months earlier. Um, so it's almost like, is that a testament to David Lee Roth's writing or is that a testament to someone else writing a song that caters to David Lee Roth and what he's used to? Okay. I, I mean, I tend to think it's a little more of the second, um, you know, because he brought in musicians that he knew or at least, you know, his his manager, et cetera, brought in musicians that they knew could cater to the sound that he wanted to create. You know, Ozzy th- brings in musicians that can do what he wants them to do. Right. And that's that. I mean, he even said at one point, he said, like, Zach Wilde needs to go off and do his own thing because it's becoming more of a Zach Wilde sound. You know, so, right, right. you know, he, he's, he was smart in that way of bringing in. And, and you're right, in a lot of ways, he's been able to surround himself with great guitars that kind of tapered off towards the end of his solo career. Well, yeah, I mean, but he's still, I mean, you think about it, Steve Vai, Jason Becker, uh, he had Joe Holmes at one point, which Ozzy had Joe Holmes. So mm-hmm. it, he had some really good guitar players. He played with Eddie Van Halen for a, a long amount of time. So, yeah. And it's, he he did change things like his his last solo album was very different, you know. And that he did that D- DLR band, which kind of brought things back at one point, kind of in the middle where he worked with John Five, and then like, but he did he did one album in the middle that was just you know it was weird. He had like Travis Tritt on there and some others, you know. It was I don't know. Yeah, Dave Dave's always been very eclectic. This one, this one, fame gets to your head, and you said, "I could do anything." But yeah. As far as Yankee Rose is concerned, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing song, and oh, kind of ass. touching, touching about the the players again. Greg Bissonette on drums, and Billy Sheehan on bass. It, he didn't just surround himself with great musicians. 
these are amazing musicians. These are mm-hmm. top notch masters of their craft. All three of them. Yeah. You know, Billy Sheehan is considered one of the best bass players in the world. You know, he is amazing. He does, you know, he does finger tapping that like Eddie Van Halen does, but he does it on a bass. Um, he, you know, Greg Bissonette is considered one of the best drummers on the planet. I mean, he, it's just amazing. The three musicians that he had surrounding him for these, for the two albums. Cause I think they were on both the first and second. Yes. Album. It was the same, same lineup for two albums. So, you know, uh, so Yankee Rose was, you know, the first one to come out, and you're like, all right, you know, you got David Lee Roth with the assless chaps, and 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 we're back at it again, you know. So <laughs> it was just like you were back home, um, very comfortable. The song was very good. He did a great job. The guitar playing was amazing on it. So Yankee Rose, top notch song, love it. All right, that brings us into track two, which is Shy Boy. Um, Shy Boy is actually a carryover from Billy Sheehan uh, during his time with Talis. So this is a cover of a Talis track. Um, It's such a killer track. Um, The original version is really good. Uh, And the singer, if you go back and listen to it, it, if you take take a minute, just find it on YouTube or something. Singer actually has a really similar voice to to Dave in a lot of ways. So it makes sense, you know, that that maybe Billy Sheen heard him and was like, you know what, you could do an awesome version of this track. I don't know the 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 genesis of kind of how this this came to fruition, but um it, it, like I said, it just makes sense. Um I would say this version is superior though because what what's really different is Steve Vai's guitar playing. And Steve Vai does an amazing job on this track. Uh, there's a there's a section where he's, you know, in syncopation with with Billy Sheehan, and it's just mind blowing. It's really good. They're they're playing extremely fast, extremely um, technically here, and it's just it kicks ass. Like this is one of the best tracks on the album. You, that part you're talking about where they're playing syncopated, you don't realize it until you get to the end where you hear the finger tapping and you realize mm-hmm. that the finger tapping is a bass because yeah. the whole time they are note for note millisecond for millisecond dead on with each other. Yep. And then at the end, when it kind of separate a little bit and you hear Billy just go, then you're like, Holy shit, that was a bass, you know, yeah. but it wasn't just a bass. It was the bass and the guitar together. It's amazing. Um, yes, I have the same understanding that you have that this was an old Talis song. It was written as a tribute to Van Halen to, to, to a degree. You know, he had a guy who he could get away with it. And so he was a big Van Halen fan, Billy. And so he wrote that song in the vein of Van Halen, in the style of Van Halen. And so he brought it to Dave and said, hey, check this out. So now you're adding another song that is in the style of Van Halen to the to the singer that used to be in Van Halen. So now you have two songs that you're saying to yourself, well, this is like a Van Halen album, you know? And so that's what the appeal was for fans of David Lee Roth with this album and these songs. So right now, fans of David Lee Roth and fans of the old Van Halen, the ones that drew the line in the sand, were extremely happy with this. And Shy Boy is one of the songs that I was talking about earlier, that whole frenetic pace that really quote unquote didn't exist except you know what we're talking about you expressed that maybe it was solos and live in concert on on record it was 
a song that f- one got introduced four months earlier, and maybe a couple of songs off of Women and Children First or a couple of moments. So Shy Boy is this song that kind of goes with that new thing that Van Halen is this frenetic sounding band. Shy Boy is a killer song. When I first heard it, I was like, yes, David Lee Roth is back. And he was kind of. <laughs> <laughs> then he left well, again. <laughs> well, I mean, even the next track, uh, track three, I'm Easy. Um, it, it's not out of the realm of anything different than than David had done with Van Halen because it, it reminds me a lot of tracks like Ice Cream Man. Right. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, anything, any of the covers he did on this album, this is a this is essentially an extension of Van Halen, this whole album. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, this track is much in the vein of, of those covers, like you mentioned. Um, you know, it sounds a lot like what he did on his Crazy From The Heat EP. Um, it's fun. It doesn't... These kind of tracks never did a lot for me. Like, I like Ice Cream Man in the context of of the Van Halen album. I think it's it's fun. It's, an, it's a nice way to, you know, kind of show that there there is like some experimentation and you know they can take these old songs and make them fresh in a way but as far as like a a killer track it's not one that i think of like oh i'm gonna listen to i'm easy you know no but like like where ice cream man succeeds is that you you have this slow little intro and then it turns into this raucous rocker Okay, mm-hmm. I'm Easy is an updated version of a of a quote unquote standard, you know, and yeah, it, it really doesn't there. go anywhere. It it just it is what it is, you know. It is a yeah. updated version of an older song. It's 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 a fine you know cover quote unquote fine cover when you when you say he did an adequate job, but did he make it his own? No. Did he make it awesome? No. He just made it another version. Uh, yes, th- yeah. that's that's a fair assessment, I would say. All right, uh, that takes us into Ladies' Night in Buffalo, track four. Um, it's a funky disco track, you know, somehow works and reminds me of, you know, something off of, like, Lost Control. Um, you know, it's not exactly the same, but I think, I think if you listen to both tracks, you can probably understand what I mean. Um, it's got a decent solo that kind of keeps rising, as it goes, um, it's interesting to hear Steve Vai doing something like this because it's really not his typical style. Now, this this song is is cool in the fact that it's it's like you almost get the sense that you got two guys just driving in the car and they're cruising and the streetlights are going by. You know, mm-hmm. you just yeah, it's a ladies' night in Buffalo. You know, that's that's all. That's the sense you get. It's just two guys cruising, you know, and it really just cruising to nowhere. Uh, essentially, it's a it's a cool song, but it's not something that you know will grab you and bring you to the next level. But it's a cool song, you know. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's you know, it's not a bad track. It's it's not a really like standout amazing track, but I think it's it's cool. Like it fits the vibe of the album. Right. All right, track 5 is going crazy, and this is another one that stands out as being a bit more of a Van Halen sound, um while also including some interesting unorthodox percussion uh from Sammy Figuera. Um the solo 
is really good, and I love what what Billy Sheehan's doing on the bass here. I think this is one of the better tracks on the album. Going crazy is a cool song. Um, it's it 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 ties in with the words "crazy from the heat." It ties in the EP to the to this album, so it, it's kind of come full circle. Um, the the lick or the little yeah the little lick at the beginning the riff part that's that's picked is very Van Halen esque, but but much smoother, not as mechanical as 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 Eddie is in his with with certain things. Um, so it, it's it's really cool. I like this song a lot. Um. It's got a very catchy chorus. Um, it was a big hit for him. Um, so it, it was one of the songs that pushed this album over the edge as far as, you know, platinum status and all that's concerned. It's a, it's a cool song. I like this song a lot. Um, he, I think this is the, the, if I'm not mistaken, it's this song on the video, uh, either that or I can't remember, where he dressed for the cover. You know the, the 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 cover artwork. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so. It. Yeah, so it's it's a really pretty cool song. I mean, it's it's hard to really describe it because it is. You know, it's got a lot of percussion. It's got a lot of stuff going on, like you mentioned. Uh, I like the song a lot. Yeah, and it was the second. Uh, I I kind of failed to mention this was the second single. Uh, the fourth single was I'm Easy, uh, track three, and the first single was Yankee Rose, and we haven't gotten to the third single yet, so I'll mention that when we get there. All right. Um, so the next track is Tobacco Road. It's a good version of the track. Um, it's It's been recorded by a lot of people. It was originally by the Nashville Teens. It was written by another, another guy. I can't remember his name. Um... Uh, John Loudermilk. Um, so he had written this song for the Nashville Teens. Uh, it was covered by Lou Rawls, the Blue Magoos, uh, the Blues Magoos. I'm not familiar <laughs> with them. Uh, Jefferson Airplane, Rare Earth, Edgar Winters, White Trash, and apparently about 20 other people. Um, <laughs> it, it's another one of those, like, does he really make it his own? I would say in some ways yes you know it's not it's not a bad track by any means um it's just to me it doesn't stand out compared to some of those tracks like yankee rose shy boy going crazy etc i think even 80s even ladies night in buffalo <laughs> really i i like i like this song um does he make it his own probably not but he does a really good version of the song yeah. on this album. So I give it to him on that. Like to me, this is better than I'm easy as far as a cover is concerned. Um, agreed. Agreed. 100%. You know, because it's a better song in it's, general. Honestly. Right. It's a better song. It's more fun. And, and they play it that way, you yeah. know, and, and I like the way he does something. You know, he, he, he's able to actually show a little bit of his vocal prowess in this song, but it's not like, you know, like the way Sammy Hagar shows off on, you know, on, on dreams, you know? So it's no, but that's, you can't compare. No, no, you can't compare, but at least he's, he's showing off what he can do. And it's, it's, it, it pays off on this song. Yeah. To me, the song is a fun song, especially coming off of a really crazy fun song with going crazy. Uh, So it, it, it works for me on this album. 
I, I I agree. It definitely works on the album. There's nothing wrong with it as a track. But like I said, it, to me, it's not one of the standouts, but I think it definitely belongs on this album. For sure. All right. So that's that brings us to track seven, Elephant Gun. Elephant Gun is another blazing fast track. Uh, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of Hot for Teacher. Um, it definitely, you know, it's definitely great to hear another Van Halen reminiscent track here. Um, so we've got, you know, three or four at this point that are very Van Halen-esque from, from DLR's, uh, you know, era of the band. And it's a short song. It's only two and a half minutes. And it feels even shorter because it's such a good track. Um, what'd you think? It's a it's a it's a good song. Like it, it's one of those songs again that adds to the quote unquote legacy of the frenetic songs that just literally started happening this year at or nineteen eighty six at that point. Um, right there with Shy Boy, right there with you know uh, Get Up, and so. It, it it's a pretty cool song. It's again, it's fun. It's fast. It's quick. It's like you know, get in, get out, boom, done. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's and it's good. I mean, it's not crazy catchy, but it's it's a good song. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, that takes us to track eight, Big Trouble. Um, so interestingly enough, this title was a leftover title from a song that was not produced uh, from Van Halen that eventually became Big River. So that one was originally called Big Trouble. Um, Big Trouble takes things a little bit slower, especially after that last track. Um, David kind of speaks over it. He uses his speaking voice, uh, kind of telling a story over the track. The overall sound is a bit more along the lines of what we would hear maybe on his next few albums. Um, The solo is quite nice um, with... Vi really dancing all over the guitar. It, that kind of reminds me of how, like, on Summer Nights, uh, Eddie's just kind of, like, exploring the guitar the whole time. Very different sound, but, you know, same kind of concept, showing Vi can, you know, really take, you know, it all over the guitar, and it just be a lot of fun. Very good. It's almost like the song was meant to showcase Steve to some degree in, in a more... Agreed. In, in, a, in a quieter setting, I guess you could say. Yeah, because uh, there's not a tremendous, uh, there's not a lot going on as far as the song being all over the place. Yeah, it's not a frantic pace or anything like that, but it, it he still is kind of dancing, you know, along with the song. With you know, it's 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 a really cool uh, you know way of him exploring the guitar. Right, exactly. Um, for you know, for what it's worth, it works at this point in the album, um, but it, it's nothing is overall to write home about, you know, the, the, for, for what is worth the, the second half of the album so far has not, has not been outstanding. It's just been kind of steady as far as songwriting is concerned. Um, not steady in terms of the, the flow of songs, but steady in terms of they're not, they're not a great song, a bad song or a great song, a no mediocre song. Everything's kind of like middle of the road. As far as yeah. the songwriting is concerned. I see, I see what you mean there, yeah. Well, that takes us into track nine, which is Bump and Grind. Um, this track almost has like some Aerosmith qualities. It reminds me of some, kind of some of the stuff that they were doing in the 90s, interestingly enough. Um, it's pretty, pretty, <clears throat> excuse me. It's pretty typical David Lee Roth kind of crooning, larger than life, you know, um, but to me, it's kind of a throwaway, you know, 
it's one of the the tracks that I would say I kind of forget about. You know, when I got to it, like I've listened to this album many times over the years, especially when I was kind of in my my Van Halen um, stage. Like there was a time when I listened to them constantly and I would throw in a lot of these songs. And this was one that kind of I I always forget about kind of escapes me. (laughs) Um, I get it because it it escapes me, too. By this point in the album, because things, you know, Tobacco Road, you you got Going Crazy, which ends side one if you have a, a, a record or a cassette. And then you got Tobacco Road starts out, it kind of starts it off pretty good. Um, and then Elephant Gun is a good song, but not a great song. And then Big Trouble is an okay song, not a really good song. And Bump and Grind. It, yeah, it's kinda just like, kind of going downhill. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. The album's starting to go downhill at this point. And Bump and Grind is just kind of like, all right, it's time to get this over with type of song. <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel about the final track. That's life. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's life. It, it, you know, it's a it's a great song in its original form. Um, I I like it. I like his version of it. I would say it's not the version I would think of. It would probably be this the Frank Sinatra version that I would tend to think of. Um, but it's kind of hard to beat the original with with one of those. So I think Dave does a great job of singing it. It shows kind of like that, that crooner voice that he can really do. And it's a lot of the stuff he wants to do. And I think that's what's fun about it is that, that Dave likes taking these old songs and singing them and crooning them um, and just, you know, enjoying himself. And it, it does show that he's enjoying himself there. And so I really do feel, you know, in the vein of some of the stuff he had done before with Van Halen, this was a good way to end the album. Um, I just kind of wish maybe they had cut a couple of the tracks before it to, to bring it along a bit sooner. Yeah. Um, I, I could see that it, it is definitely, you know, it's very similar to, uh, happy trails, from from yes. from uh, diver down, um, it's 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 a song you know that's life. It's the end of something, and it it works for the album. It's a it works a, very well. Yeah. It's a good version of it. I mean, they they thought highly enough of it to release it as a single, but um, is it really something that you want to be a single? Do you want to be known as a guy who sang that's life? You know a cover version of it. Like for me, you have Yankee Rose as a single. You've got going crazy as a single. I almost would have rather them put out maybe shy boy as a single or elephant gun, something more upbeat, something more up tempo, something more in line with what he really is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He did a killer version of California girls. Right. But, you know, the the contrast to that is, you know, the, he got away with putting out the other single from the EP, which was um, uh, Just a Gigolo. You know, he got away with, with putting out Just a Gigolo from the EP as a single or as, as another track. And because it's it's not necessarily one of those kind of tracks that says, see you later. Like, you know, 
happy trails or that's life. Yeah. But that's life. Just, it's kind of like, it's a definitely needs to be an album ender. It needs to be some sort of, you know, an ender of a greatest hits type of album. But, you know, like I said, it's a good version. I just don't know if I would have wanted to release it as a single. You know, I would have wanted to keep the momentum going in terms of the kind of songs I'm releasing as a single. Yeah, no, I I, I think it's an odd choice for a single. It's a good version of the song. It's, you know, it's fun. It shows David Lee Roth having fun. So I get its placement on the album. Again, weird single. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, as far as the album as a whole goes, I think this was a good smattering of kind of what David Lee Roth wanted to continue doing and some new things he wanted to do, too. This brought in a little bit more of his his approach to things. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily think that's the best thing, because some of those covers that he did with Van Halen, I thought were a lot more fun and they kind of made it their own kind of like what you said earlier where um you know they would turn it into a, like it would start off maybe in the same way but it would turn into a rock version of some of those songs so um this was this was a great um you know first album from him it i think is a bigger step for david lee roth because you know he's he's going alone you know, he's he's not, you know, having that same camaraderie that he, you know, would have had if he was, you know, one of the three members that stayed together. You know, so, th- so this was a bigger step for him. Um, this was definitely more critically acclaimed. But like you said earlier, this album did not do as well, you know, monetarily as as 5150 did not reach the heights in the charts. Um there wasn't as much of a you know mass appeal as as what was going on with fifty one fifty. The reason the reason for that to me is because of the eclecticness of the album. Because there's a, a, a I'm easy. Because there that there's a that's life. Because there's a tobacco road. And then you have a shy boy and a Yankee rose. It's all over the place. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that if you're a fan of David Lee Roth because that's the way David Lee Roth is. If you're a fan of Van Halen, if you think about it, David it's a cohesive Lee, album, right? It, with with Van Halen uh, and David Lee Roth together, there was a collaborative effort in terms of choosing the the covers that they would do. So they made them into Van Halen songs. Pretty Woman, excellent version. Oh, especially yeah, you know, very. That's probably the, the version I think of the most. When I think of Pretty Woman, right, even more than the original, you know, because it's it's so recognizable. Exactly, you know. Obviously, you really got me. You know, is is mm-hmm. is their Same. own version. So when you you have these songs that you Van Halenize, I guess you could say, it becomes their song. But Dave comes in and doesn't have anyone telling him, "Hey, you know, I think you should try a different cover." You know, there's no one really to sit there and fight Dave for getting a song on the album. So Dave basically got his way. And it shows that he he needed someone to bounce something off of. And maybe Ted Templeman was that person. Maybe they did have that argument or discussion or debate or whatever you want to call it. But, it, you know, it obviously shows that these were the songs that he chose as covers and that's what he ended up putting on the album. 
as yeah. this is definitely a David Lee Roth album. It's a great album for Dave, but um, essentially it doesn't live up to what he's done in the past, except for the songs that are really meant to be that. Yankee Rose and Shy Boy, even Shy Boy is technically a cover. Going Crazy, those were good songs. If you know, and he had some good songs in future albums, but overall the albums were letdowns. So, I think um, looking at the two albums side by side, there's a reason why one sold more than the other. Um, there's a reason why more fans took to a song. This wasn't about uh, David Lee Roth getting screwed by the marketing team. It was straight up. They pushed the hell out of this album. It had videos. It had singles. The 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 people's choice was Van Halen over David Lee Roth as far as albums are concerned. And in my opinion, I'm going to have to go with the Van Halen album, 5150. It was much more cohesive. It was a, it was a stronger album, a stronger effort overall. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think David Lee Roth had a bigger hill to walk up than, than Van Halen did in a lot of ways. But that doesn't really matter. The fact is that when Ozzy put out, you know, Blizzard of Oz versus when, you know... Um, Ronnie came in and joined Black Sabbath. They put out two albums that can pretty well go head to head. I find this harder for, you know, to 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 view them as close. You know, uh, Eat 'Em and Smile had some great tracks. Yankee Rose, Shy Boy, um, even Ladies Night in Buffalo, Going Crazy, um, Elephant Gun. I think those to me are are the standout tracks. Whereas up up until like pretty much inside i think really all the tracks on on 5150 are really good even love walks in which never quite appealed to me i totally get why people love it you know it it's i can see it and and, and listen to it and say this is this is a a hit song it's the Doesn't melody necessarily... the melody of the song is what makes it yeah so you know I think again, yeah, you said it it's a much more cohesive album. Um this got some really really recognizable tracks for me and then there's there is more to it than that. Like I remember watching um the the live without a net which had a lot of this stuff on it and just just the the feel of the band at the time and they were just having so much fun and and I just I love the album, so I have to go with 5150. Yeah, I, I agree. The only thing I can say about that, though, if you want to contrast it, is if you give me a whole album of Shy Boys and Yankee Roses, I would think if if they're just as good as those two songs, give me 8 mm-hmm. out of 10, then that album would blow away Van Halen's album. But it could. It didn't it happen. Possibly. So we don't. It it, that's happen. a theory. It's, it didn't happen. So I do have to say one thing about Eat 'Em and Smile. Um, it's available out now. There's a Spanish version that Billy Sheehan convinced David Lee Roth to do because he said that there was a big market in Central America, and so I don't know if Billy meant for him to re-record all the lyrics in Spanish, but that's what Dave did. They kept the music pretty much identical. Uh, I don't think they changed anything track-wise, except that I think there was one edit later on, I think in, in uh, uh, Elephant Gun or or, or uh, Big Trouble, something like that. But 
he he sang this, the the songs all in Spanish. I have that on vinyl, the original release. It's called Sonrisa Salvaje. It's, you know, uh Wild Smile if you want to put it that way in English. It's really uh it was the same album just with different words and it's pretty cool. It's fun, you know, to listen to Dave sing uh in Spanish. Um but Unfortunately, it, it fell flat on its face in Central America because they basically turned around and said, oh, that guy's singing gringo Spanish. So they didn't really, <laughs> it didn't really appeal to everyone there. So gotcha. um, it wasn't like, you know, Manan rocking Espanol. It, it, it just fell flat. But I have it. I think it's really cool. I finally got it on CD as well, I think. Um, it came out in 2007. So I finally got that on CD. I always wanted, like, you know, digital versions of it. So it's pretty cool. I mean, same album cover, just the liner notes are in Spanish. So it's it's a pretty neat version. All right. Okay. So that brings us to the big four for tonight. And the big four tonight is the big four David Lee Roth songs. Um, I believe we've done Van Halen uh, in the past or, or Sammy or something like that. And now it's Dave's turn to get the big four treatment. Um. I don't know. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Go ahead. All right. So I'll go first. Um, so this was a, tr- a, a tough one for me because in reality, it's been a long time since I've heard Skyscraper. Uh, and it's been a long time since I've heard <laughs> since I've heard uh, A Little Late Enough. Uh, and I'm not just talking about A Little Late Enough as a song. Just the, the whole album in general, the whole Skyscraper album, it's been a while. Um, I have heard Just Like Paradise, <clears throat> but I haven't heard the rest of the album. There's a reason for that. The albums are not that good uh, overall. Um, they're they're like listening to generic Dave Lee Roth Van Halen songs. So the my big four is a very narrow big four. Um, so my number four song is Paradise or Just Like Paradise. Um, I like that song. It it continues in the vein of Steve Vai, Greg Bissonette, Billy Sheehan, and Dave Leroff, the band being together. It's it's cool. I like it. Good background vocals. Um, so it's my number four song. Um, after that, you're gonna sound. These songs are gonna sound real familiar. Number three is "Going Crazy" from. Eat Him and Smile. Uh, it's just a fun song. It's a really cool song. I like I liked the percussion that's all over it. I like the guitar picking that's on it. Um, just the way Steve plays. Um, it's a really cool song. Um, number two is Shy Boy. <clears throat> also from Eat Him and Smile. Um, you know, how do you hand someone a, Van Halen, a song that's just like Van Halen to the old singer for Van Halen. You know, it, it works. It's a really cool song. I like it a lot. And number one, hands down, Yankee Rose to me is the best Dave Lee Roth song that's out there. So all three <laughs> songs, one, two, and three came from Eat Him and Smile. So there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of diversity for me, but that album was probably his best effort in terms of music releases that he's done. I would agree, and hilariously, we have the same big four. Oh, wow. Um, it's a different order, but so I'll go over my order. But um, So my number four is Going Crazy. Uh, my number three is Shy Boy. My number two is Just Like Paradise. 
and the the biggest reason I have it at number two was I just I remember listening to that song so much as a kid because I actually had this on cassette tape, whereas I didn't have um, uh, "Eat 'Em and Smile" till later. So it just had more of an impact, at, you know, as as a album uh, for me at that time. And then my number one is "Yankee Rose." I just think it's the best track that that he released as as a memorable track i love shy boy but there's something special about yankee rose uh, yankee rose um, is awesome yeah i love i actually really love the album uh skyscraper knuckle bones i think is a really good track off of that one and there's a few others like the actual song skyscraper i think is really cool stand up um i had that one for far longer than i did i i got eat em and smile i would say like five or six years later. Um, oh, wow. so I did, I didn't, I didn't listen to it as much. Um, but I think after that, they're just, you know, um, Jason Becker joined the band and, you know, he, he's a really young talent at that point. And unfortunately that was around the time he started getting sick. And I don't think he had enough time to really grow into his role. It's unfortunate. And then, you know, how, how I wonder how things would have gone had you know he still remained healthy you know not just for his career but for you know his impact on playing with david lee roth because even around the time that he was recording he was having issues so you know who knows where that would have gone and how that affected the album as a whole so um but I, I agree with you the first two albums are really the only ones that are substantially good after that you know what he did in the 90s i thought was not really for me um he released in 2003 D diamond dave which i you know it's okay i think it was a better effort than the previous two albums but at that point you know i just i just felt like he had kind of lost it yeah and then he, you know he did i mean he didn't really do much after that he then he tried to rekindle himself with the dlr band and that just really didn't go anywhere yeah, I mean, he did, um, he did, uh, what's the, the talk show on the radio for a little while. And then eventually in, you know, early 2010s, he rejoined Van Halen. So it just, you know, it, it showed that, you know, in early in his career, when being surrounded by better musicians like, uh, you know, Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan, there was definitely more, um, quality there and it just it just kind of sunk from there unfortunately yep and that's definitely the case i mean he he had he had some really good uh players around him um but eventually i mean i'm looking at the list here i mean uh, well, think late. think about dlr band not to interrupt you but huh? he played with john five yeah. And he played with Ray Luzier, you know, from, from, uh, who did you just see him play he with? He was with Corn. Corn? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, that's kind of weird. But, you know, it's, it's a, <laughs> but the funny thing is, it's equivalent in terms of talent to what he had with Greg Bissonnette and Billy Sheehan. And, but very different style of music. Oh, though. very different style. Yeah. But Ray Luzier is, is a killer drummer, you know, regardless. Uh, John Five, he's and he plays it all. And so supposedly, I mean, John keeps talking about how he 
that he has the album. It's in the can. It's ready to go whenever Dave wants to release it. And he said that there was going to be something coming out soon. So who knows what how that really is going to go down. But Interesting. Okay. So we're all just waiting for it to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had John Five with the DLR band. I mean, he had Jason Becker on a, on a little enough. And then your filthy little mouth is when he kind of went and didn't really have anybody great. Travis Tritt on co-lead vocals. You know, John Regan on bass was the guy who played with Freely's Comet. I mean, he's a really good guitar player. He's solid, but he's not Billy Sheehan, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, it was – he's had a very interesting career. I mean, he and he's, you know, uh, was – he's doing – he's got a Las Vegas residency coming up in January. So, you know, good luck to David Lee Roth. I mean, you know, he's – He's Absolutely. definitely up there in age and, you know, he's still entertaining. So that's great. It's awesome. You know, I don't, I, yeah, I love, I love that guys like that can continue doing what they love to do and, you know, people will go see them and enjoy themselves. And that's, that's amazing to me. I, I'm so happy that bands like Judas Priest are still out there playing, you know, and doing what they love to do. And the, the fact is, if you don't like it, if you don't care to see them, you don't have to go. Absolutely. So it's it's just great that people can continue to do what they love this long. For sure. All right. Well, peeps, that is our big four David Lee Roth songs for tonight. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. So let me remind you once again, you can find this and all of our previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. So please don't forget to click the subscribe button. That's right. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you use Spotify, be sure to check out our playlist from our Greatest Hits episodes as well. Make sure to tune in to the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe. And remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya. <laughs>